0: ladies all the social ladies all the social ladies all the social ladies all the social ladies now put
1: your phones up hi michelle hi jen you know how we always ask our guests what ad they can't get rid of yes i am being followed by the new ray-ban stories glasses
0: tell our listeners what those are
1: So in partnership with Facebook, Ray-Ban put out these eyeglasses and sunglasses that are pretty much similar to spectacles where you can capture photos while you're wearing the glasses.
0: Snapchat spectacles give me bad flashbacks.
1: I know they do. Do you want to share that story?
0: I'll, I'll be brief. But basically, when Snapchat dropped spectacles, I saw a tweet that they were like somewhere in Midtown Manhattan. I happened to be on the subway at that stop. So I got out. Waited in line for five and a half hours in the freezing cold. I think it was like November, December for sure. Got interviewed by ABC News, made some friends in line, some new Twitter followers. And got
1: two pairs of the spectacles. And got two
0: pairs of the spectacles, but like I never really used them. They were cool
1: you know for a hot minute for a
0: hot minute
1: well that's why it's so funny that I'm kind of being followed by these because I don't feel like I'm in the target demographic as a user for these
0: I yeah I think it would be like really fun for content creators but otherwise I just don't see why you would want to record everything that you see
1: they look much sleeker than the spectacles so I'll give them that Yeah, perhaps it's a Christmas present
0: speaking of Christmas there's this like viral Mm. Chanel advent calendar on TikTok this girl got it it was like what $850 and she was posting her or, you know, reveal each day of what was inside. It's like of an it. unboxing. Yeah, but it's like been stuff that's not really of that $850 value. <laughs> and she claimed that Chanel blocked her on TikTok, but Chanel's saying that they didn't. And there's just now all this internet drama about it.
1: Apparently, the TikTok page that Chanel runs is always been inactive and set to private. So perhaps she's just misinterpreting what she's seeing.
0: Perhaps. Okay, so it's that time of year where every day there's like a new year in review released
1: last week was all spotify all spotify wrapped jen you have an embarrassing song i don't even know how this happened but stay by justin bieber and the kid laroi is my number four most listened to song
0: which is a coincidence because tiktok says it's top video of the year is like a man dancing to that song when it's filmed by a drone.
1: Wow. Weird. I
0: I know. I also saw the couch guy, the TikTok couch guy, um, who got called out, basically. His girlfriend came to visit him, and it seemed like he had just been like kind of schmoozing with another girl. <laughs> but he just put out like an interview um, about what it was like to be investigated on the internet. And I'm thinking like... I feel like that was a bigger video of the year than the dancing Kid Leroy song. I don't know. I guess, you know, TikTok, TikTok has got to be careful about what is like a brand moment and what's just like our internet memories.
1: That's what's interesting because last week Twitter also put a ban on sharing of photos and videos of people without their consent. Mm. It all feels related in a yeah. way because I like what you said, a person the versus a brand that moment. I probably didn't yeah. want
0: to go viral. For exactly. That. So, we've been talking a lot about the end of the year Mm -hmm. and going into the new year. A big focus for a lot of people is fitness. Oh, yeah. And we got to talk today to Kate Winnick, who is the director of social at Peloton.
1: We learned so much from Kate about all the cool stuff that she gets to do over at Peloton and how they're using the instructors to really be the voice of the brand across social.
0: Let's hear it. Hi, Kate. We're so happy to have you on the show. Welcome.
1: Thank you so much for having me. Now you're part of the All the Social Lady Girl Gang. (laughs) (laughs) I'm honored. Yay, I'm glad. We're going to jump into the social speed round. Are you ready?
2: Yes.
0: What's your favorite social network?
2: I think it's TikTok at this point. Do you pronounce it GIF or JIF? I pronounce JIF.
0: Ooh, hot take. (laughs) (laughs) What Instagram ad can you not get rid of?
2: Oh, all the Peloton ads. Absolutely.
1: Of course. <laughs>
2: Shameless plug, right?
1: Yeah. What is your go-to
2: emoji? I'm going to date myself here and make myself seem like a millennial, but it is the crying, laughing face. Uh, I just use it all the time. I know.
0: I try to like switch back and forth between that and the skull, depending on my audience.
2: Yeah. It depends what you're talking (laughs) about. Yeah. I fake it with my younger employees, but uh, with with friends and family, it's definitely cry laughing.
0: (laughs) Who is your favorite celebrity to follow
1: on social?
2: My favorite celebrity to follow on social. It's probably still Chrissy Teigen.
1: (laughs) Nice. (laughs) We love her too. We have her cookbooks. I okay, said the spicy miso pasta is so good. It's exactly, so good. exactly. <laughs> okay, what about stories or feed?
2: Oh, I you know, I still love feed. I really do. It's so much harder to break through, but it is I think worthy of like a lot of investment still.
0: Okay, last question. What was your first screen name?
2: Oh, no really um my first screen name was Kempo Kate my brother was Kempo Steve his name is Steven because this is a good fun fact I have a black belt in Kempo karate Wow! and I started taking karate when I was like seven years old and not very many years after that had my first AOL screen name that my dad picked out for me and my brother
0: that is so cool do you still do like any kind of martial arts?
2: no I mean I'm pretty much out of it at this point yeah (laughs) he's retired the black belt (laughs) I've retired the black belt along with the screen name.
1: Yeah, that's probably for the best.
2: But I still have a couple of friends from like way back who will still occasionally address me with that name.
1: Oh, yeah. I love it. I kind of like that your dad made it
2: for you and your brother, too. Yeah, I didn't really think about that. You know, we were not having unsupervised internet access at that point in our lives. So he picked it. Well, it's just
1: funny because all of the parents making screen names and Instagram accounts for their new babies.
2: Oh,
1: yeah. That feels like a completely different era than what we're talking about but the parallel is still
2: there. I don't think he was thinking at all about us being cool but that he had our he had our username and he had the password to our accounts there so that was early internet safety and probably still not a bad idea.
1: Yeah I would say that's actually really smart. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay so you I mean now that you've grown up a little <laughs> not, not a kid anymore um, we want to hear about your career to date. I know that you have a background in editorial, which I love kind of people who come from writing to social media. So tell us about your journey and what brought you to Peloton.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I I wanted to be a magazine editor from way, way back. I mean, I I sort of thought I wanted to be a writer. And then when I had my first internship at a magazine, when I was 15, I was a sophomore in high school, I realized that I wasn't as good a writer as I wanted to be. Like I'm a solid writer, but I'm not (laughs) a great writer. And I realized that there were great writers out there. And the thing that I really loved was getting the absolute best product out of them. Mm -hmm. That I found that I had like a real actual talent for taking a piece of writing and restructuring it and tweaking it and kind of pushing it into a form that made sense and that, you know, that was really better in a lot of ways because of the way that it had been restructured Mm -hmm. as well as the way that it was written. And there's a great book that's called Max Perkins, Editor of Genius, which is about, he was an editor at Random House who edited Hemingway and... Oh, wow. you know, F. Scott Fitzgerald and a lot of other writers. And I really fell in love with this idea of, you know, the editor as, you know, this sort of behind the scenes yeah. power that is really able to shape in a meaningful way products that people really, really love. And I felt like that was in and of itself valid that I didn't have to want to be a writer. I could really <laughs> want to be behind the scenes and be yeah. on a team. So I was part of this sort of ed 2010 generation of people who wanted to be magazine editors. <laughs> I would I have to
0: ask like what, magazine at the time did you want to be
2: the editor of? Uh, I mean if probably vogue yeah. and then if a few years after that i would have switched to vanity fair because it yeah. was a cooler answer I and mean, they did more kind of cultural reporting which i was interested in and i mean i think if they approached me today i still wouldn't say no but they also <laughs> wouldn't approach me <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: you never know i had like a book about teen, teen vogue. vogue and it was I had like it
2: the jobs yeah.
0: to, to like help you understand what kind of like jobs to break through in the the magazine industry i remember that right. so i really mean I was
2: i was really lucky in that i because i started interning so early And I had, I think, six magazine internships before I graduated college. I got to see a lot of that really firsthand and work at a lot of different types of magazines and really figure out sort of where I thought I wanted to be within that structure. And then by the time I was in my mid 20s, I was a senior editor at a magazine and I had had really amazing phases to my career getting to be a travel writer, getting to, you know, really work at a lot of cool jobs that had a lot of cool perks. (laughs) And just realized it wasn't where I wanted to be. I was having like weekly fights with my boss about why we weren't doing anything with the website Mm. and why we weren't doing anything digital. And he finally sat me down and was like, I don't think you want to work here anymore. I (laughs) think you want to work at a website, Yeah, (laughs) which, you know, at the time was really hard for me to hear, which I was upset by. You were just ahead of your time. Right. Well, I I don't think I was ahead of my time. I think I was pretty much right on schedule. (laughs) And I think the writing was certainly on the wall for the magazine industry Mm. as a whole. Right, right, and so I really, you know, I I only ever expected that I would be a digital editor instead of a print editor. That was the only transition I was trying to make. And so the job that I took that really changed my life in a lot of ways was, that it was actually just a small, a small video streaming startup that did not end up taking off. It was actually started by a woman who I had profiled for a different magazine mm-hmm. a few years earlier, and she reached out and said that she was interested in building up for a small office in New York, and. They were based in North Carolina at the time. And she wanted to know if I was interested in taking on a combined editorial and social media role. And I said, yes, because I thought, great, this will be a nice, easy transition. This is someone I know. I'll get a little experience under my belt. And then I can you know, come back to a bigger editorial outlet with with some actual demonstrated experience. And then I figured I would freelance in the meantime. And what I didn't expect to happen was to have a really wonderful boss there who had previously run a social media program at Disney, which was really, really, really early to having very comprehensive brand programs Mm -hmm. on social and really just falling in love with social media for its own sake. You know, I discovered a lot of capacity within myself that I hadn't known that I had. Like if you told me when I was an English major reading, you know, (laughs) Jane Austen in college, (laughs) that the thing that I was going to love was like spreadsheets and like analysis. I would have like been like, well, cool. At what point did I hit my head? Like it just, it didn't, I, I didn't realize that that was something that I was really capable of doing was that kind of more objective analysis. But being able to have that instant feedback of seeing what was performing, seeing what people liked, and being able to actually have a pool of information that you could dive into mm-hmm. and figure out, not just did people like what you wrote, but why did they like it? And yeah. what did they do with it? And how did they respond to it? And what should we write next? Like, it was really fascinating to be able to have those live com- you know conversations. Yeah. And really, at, you know, I think at the end of the day, people who become reporters and become editors are people who have a lot of curiosity about yeah. other people. And if you like looking at people and watching what they do, social is really so. <laughs> endlessly interesting.
1: <laughs> Honestly. And
2: yeah. And so from there, I, the startup did not go anywhere as some of them don't. And I took a job at L at their website, which at the time was really at the beginning of the giant Hearst digital transformation mm-hmm. that has happened since then. Right. But I was, I was really one of the first people who was brought on full time to do social at Hearst and at L at one of their kind of bigger magazines. And we really ended up building along with a lot of other people who have immense amounts of respect for and several of whom who have been on your podcast before (laughs) to get to build up Elle's social and digital presence. And it was a really it was just an incredible job. That newsroom environment is so stimulating. It's so exciting. I joke a lot that I think I I know that other people from that era have cited this moment, but the moment that I realized that I was like maybe a little too deep in, I sat up one day at about three o'clock in the morning, just absolutely certain that Kate Middleton had just given birth her second child <laughs> I just I knew it and I looked online and the tweet had gone out like 10 minutes earlier and I like published our blog post published the social went and like rescheduled like a re-up for 8 a.m when anyone else would be awake to see it and then went back to sleep wow and was just like wow okay I have become one with the internet yeah in yeah. I I maybe you should re-examine it, it's in my
1: veins even when I'm not online yeah. yeah
2: I just it was the weirdest feeling and the thing is I wasn't even the only person who was online by the time I was done publishing a few of my other teammates were like, do you think it happened? I was like, it did happen. It's all set. It's okay. Like There's we were, I think either. we were still in G at that point. I don't think we were yeah. even on Slack yet. <laughs> it was a fun, fun experience to get to work at that pace and at that volume. I mean, there is no volume, like editorial volume on social. No, for sure. And from there, you know, it was the, the newsroom experience was really fun and really exciting, but there were a few things I wanted to focus on more specifically. People management, Mm -hmm. I think that's a really underrated skill that a lot of people don't give attention to in their career until a little bit too late. And I think often in editorial environments, you accidentally get promoted to the point where you're managing people, but you're never actually given a lot of training or support in learning how to do it. And so I wanted to go to a place where I knew that people management would be part of my responsibility and where I would have the opportunity to really focus in on it. And I was interested in kind of slowly moving towards a brand that had some physical product associated with Mm -hmm. it. And that had more of a digital native rather than a print origin, right. and so I really, in a lot of ways, stayed very much within, within the L family and went to Who What Where, which was founded by Catherine Power and Hillary Kerr, who were both former L editors. So that was a really sort of funny day that I like gave notice, and everybody was like, "Oh, like say Where hi, Hillary, and Catherine." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: like,
2: I was like, like "Oh, well, you're not leaving, leaving." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And had a really incredible team at Click, and I'm still in touch with many of them, and we really were able to grow across a whole portfolio of brands do things like launch our retail collections at Target for Joy Lab, which was yeah. an activewear line. I and love that. Into- I didn't Joy realize was that was part of the
0: same. Mm-hmm. Kind yeah, of- yeah that
2: started as, as a who what wear collaboration launch oh, and get the collection out in stores and there was something that turned out to be in the same way that seeing people like on an airplane holding a magazine that you know your byline is in yeah. or your name is on the mask yeah. seeing people wearing your clothes and understanding that you have like a place in their home mm-hmm. semi-permanently was it was just a really exciting thing to me. It's like, like a sense of pride. It is, for sure. It's a sense of pride, but it's also an understanding of how you can connect to those yeah. people as a marketer and a storyteller. They're making a different kind of investment. You know, when all you're chasing is unique views every month, to some degree, like once you've clicked on one of. My articles, like I love you for clicking, and thank you, and please come back next month. <laughs> but to some degree, like once you've clicked, I'm not really thinking about you anymore. Like I want you for other metrics. Yeah. But as long as that is your hero metric, then you're always chasing mm-hmm. new eyeballs, and you're not really able to think about retention and community building in exactly the same way. And this idea that you could have this sort of ongoing relationship with people who could really identify with your brand in a different way, I think magazines kind of innovated that and invented. That this idea of you know the Vogue woman or the L girl, right. and then the product just became less relevant. And so moving into more consumer products was something I was really excited to do. And when Peloton approached me, and I've told this story many times in many contexts, so mm-hmm. they know about it. <laughs> I had not really considered Peloton because I hate spin classes. They're just like not my favorite workout, and I didn't another hot take. <laughs> no, I mean I I understand why people love them, but for me they're just they're not my go-to and had never been my go-to I have obviously done plenty of them since joining Peloton but I just hadn't thought that there would be any interest really mutually on on either side but when they reached out to me and I started getting to know the company I really saw that more so than just being a bike or just being spin classes this company was clearly going to be so much more I mean Mm -hmm. the tread product was already out in the world and was already on pre-sale there was so much strength content there was so much content beyond the app and there was such a community of people making our content in mm. the studio. I mean, our studio and content team, they get a lot of love, but they really deserve it. Like they essentially <laughs> run a television studio,
0: yeah, yeah.
2: like in day in and day out. And I could see that this was really a lot of people who were very invested in storytelling and content in the same way that I was. And I sort of felt like, oh, if I had made that mistake, if I thought this was just spin classes, then <laughs> a lot of people are making that mistake. And there's a lot of stories to be told here. And the way I sort of thought about this switch in my head was that as an editor, as a writer, you get to tell thousands of stories. And it's a really, really cool thing to get to dip into thousands of people's lives and businesses and backgrounds. And working at a brand, you get to tell one story, but you get to tell it a thousand different ways right. at a thousand different times. And it's a way to just go really, really deep rather than really broad. Yeah. And that was, I think, a shift that I was ready for and excited about. So it's been three and a half years and I still don't feel like we've told enough stories yeah. and I still feel like there is a lot to mine and a lot of people who still don't understand everything that that we are and everything that we have to offer. And it's really exciting to be in an environment where the storytelling and the editorial work is that fertile that you can really keep going on and And, on. And I
0: feel like beyond, I mean, you're saying when you started, there was so much you didn't know about the brand and the brand has grown so much in the past three and a half years too. Like we see all these amazing announcements, you know, having the meditation on the Delta flights and new products coming out. Like there are every day becoming more stories for you
2: no. <laughs> yeah, there. It's it's been a little launch a minute lately. Right. How do you
0: how do you keep up with that? How are you maintaining the momentum, both you know, with your team and feeding this community on social? Yeah,
2: I would say that we didn't necessarily intend to launch this many things this <laughs> together. You know, the the timing obviously has been it's not always as much room to breathe as I think those launches really deserve. Mm. You know, it's especially things like the, you know, all the examples that you mentioned, those for a lot of brands would be a month's worth of campaign, And with all of these things hitting at the same time, we barely get a day or a week. And again, I mean, it creates almost a storytelling backlog that there's so much more we want to go back in and do with time. But I think it's, and we're not done. I mean, we have so many (laughs) exciting things coming up. And what that really does is it forces us to just re-examine. And what organic social is really good at and to also really dive deeper into who our audience is right now to make sure that what we're making and what we're putting on out on our channels really works for them and yeah. really serves their purposes and their needs.
0: Well, we know you launched the TikTok recently. I feel like yeah. <laughs> that's one place that the community is going. and It's been fun to watch those videos.
1: I was going to bring that up, but I was going to wait a second. But I feel like it's the perfect time to really talk about that just because there was such an appetite for TikTok in general. I mean, I mean, there is so much content I was seeing from the Peloton instructors themselves. Like people reposting mm-hmm. it, yeah. Or just like consumers who are like really excited that exactly. their Peloton was getting delivered that day. And yeah. I'm just curious how you navigated that social strategy or that channel strategy more specifically.
2: Yeah, it was a really exciting, I mean, it, you, it's sort of rare at this point that you get to really launch a whole right. new channel. Yeah, I right. hadn't actually gotten to do it in a while.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm sure you had inherited the other ones, technically. Right,
2: <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, there was still a point at which, you know, in past roles that there were new platforms to invest in. And I think channel launches were a little bit more common and it was not something I had actually ever gotten to do here. So that was definitely, you know, a big learning opportunity the way it always is. So when we were getting ready to launch TikTok, we were really looking to reserve some creative space for the team and some time to experiment. And in talking with a lot of other brand social leads, that was really the advice that I heard over and over again, was just to not be afraid to make those mistakes and to just get in there and start trying things. And when you really, I mean, even with really big accounts, when you look back at the beginning, when you scroll back to their first couple of TikToks, like you're, you see plenty of things that have a few hundred or really no engagement at all, a few hundred likes, no shares and that's just it's it's part of just getting situated on the platform and really approaching it from like a very user first human first kind of Approach, mm-hmm. and that's what my team really wanted to do. That's what I really wanted to do was to say, if we're going to go on TikTok, we can't go be a brand on TikTok in an authoritative way. You know, we have to be accepting of the existing community there, right. and you know, that's I think the biggest mistake that brands can make is to come in and be like, "This is our agenda," and that is the important thing. It's like, no, the the community there, the users yeah. there, are the important
0: thing. Well, I think the perfect segue because you know, to do that, you use the instructors and you use the mm-hmm. people that are the faces of the brand. And it's no secret that the Peloton instructors <laughs> have kind of developed some stardom of their own. like at Cody, on yeah. um, dancing with the stars. Yeah. I'm sure our listeners would love to hear a little bit more about that and how you navigate managing their success.
2: Yeah. I mean, it has been really exciting and validating to see these people who have worked so hard for so right. long. There's no, they, that's sort of, I think an old saying in show business, that, you know, no, there's no such thing as an overnight success. And there really isn't. These instructors have been grinding for years and they joined a small startup when there was no guarantee of this kind of stardom because they believed in the idea and what they were going to get to do. And I think all of them had this capacity all along and we Mm. hired people who we knew were able to be these kinds of leaders and to be this influential, but it took time and it took a lot of effort and a lot of groundwork and really showing up on the platform and for the community day after day to build these audiences and these followings. Yeah. From my perspective, you almost can't do enough for them, which sometimes makes it hard to figure out how to do anything for them. Right. (laughs) From the point of view. You know, I have a team of four people supporting 50 large accounts at this point is basically impossible. No. You know, you can't do individual account management at the size that we are. And so we really had to shift towards becoming sort of more of an education center Mm -hmm. and working with our instructor talent to just provide them with the best resources that we can. And as they continue to grow and continue to scale on their own, they face essentially all of the same problems that influencers and small businesses face in scaling on social. And a lot of them are at that sort of critical moment where they really need more support. And my team isn't necessarily able to offer them the kind of one-on-one support, but we're able to connect them with tools and with resources and with positioning and brand help to help them continue to grow. It's been a real privilege, honestly, to get to work with them because they do most of it themselves. Yeah. There's, I think there's a lot of conspiracy theories out there <laughs> about how closely Peloton controls and orchestrates things. And that's mostly not the case. We're really a group of colleagues who are operating from a shared set of values and priorities. And they're working with us because they're employees here too. And they're invested in Peloton's success as well as in, you know, their own success as individuals, but you know, also as part of our community. That also means that you know, we really try to let them be the experts in being themselves and mm-hmm. add value by being experts in social. They have to want to do things. They have to like doing their social. Yes, I am a right. <laughs> Generally, that social media channels that you don't like, you're not going to be really good at creating content, right? Like some people get Twitter, some people don't. And people who don't get it and don't like it don't usually succeed on it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But we never force instructors onto particular channels or tell them that there's anything they have to do on social. If it doesn't feel natural, to them or their brand, mm-hmm. then they don't do it. There's no consequence for that. There's nothing that they have to do with us. Right.
0: Well, first and foremost, their job is, you know, the To the, to teach the class. Yeah, <laughs> right. right. Exactly. It's like adding
2: a whole nother layer. And that's something that we say a lot is that by far the biggest social media platform for a Peloton instructor is the platform. Right. Is mm-hmm. Peloton and is the opportunity to be in millions of homes and millions of lives multiple times a day in the way that we all wish we had that kind of reach oh, out. Yeah, system. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, that is sort of the invisible piece is that that bond is really formed in the class and on the platform and is then just sort of re-upped and deepened and complicated and made more exciting by what happens on the public-facing social. It's
0: so funny. We talked to someone else for the show who managed talent, social media, and we're asking her, like... (laughs) are there any secrets like how many celebrities actually run their social media (laughs) so it's it's interesting to hear you talk about this too of no like this is them this is real we'll give them the tools but from there it's authentic
1: i I do like that we're debunking the thing that i've always heard is that Peloton instructors are forced to be on tiktok (laughs) and it's like no guys let's chill for a second that's not actually true (laughs) my my
2: favorite also is that they get paid based on how big their social followers right Um, yeah would you sign that contract like would you (laughs) like like, come on Yeah. yeah I didn't either.
0: <laughs> I mean, it's such a great opportunity, though. I think for you and the, the social team to have the wealth of content mm-hmm. to pull from and these personalities, because you know, so much of it can be promoting the service and the products and whatever it is. But being able to connect people with those instructors and continue to build that community, it's lucky and great that you have these great talents.
2: Right? Yeah. No. I mean, we're incredibly lucky to get to work with people who are such natural performers and content creators, and who have so much. Personality and are so much fun. I think at the end of the day, at this point in organic socials life, you are really talking about having fun and yeah. people, <laughs> and that is really what they are incredible at, as well as kind of being experts in training and fitness. Right, the of course they all are,
1: and like of course that's what you want social to be too. You know, at the end of the day, no brand is on it. I mean, yes, they're there for a marketing message in the first place, but you want the message itself to be enjoyable. Last season, we talked extensively about this idea of doom scrolling. Like it was peak Mm -hmm. pandemic and people were so anxious and anytime they picked up their phone and looked at social, there was never anything really positive. And I think we're looking at that shift more often, especially since 2021 started about this idea of joy scrolling now. And like, <laughs> is it fun content? Am I happy to be consuming Instagram? Am I happy to be scrolling on TikTok before I go to bed?
2: Yeah, but I think, I think also, I think Gen Z and I think just time on social has also pushed the bar higher for what mm-hmm. is joy. you know, the kind of performative, like, you know, filtered, super Instagram-y millennial totally. boy, you know, five years ago, like, that's i going to pass the sniff test at this point. Yeah, no, It's totally. clear that people are having fun. And I think this push towards authenticity and yeah. even neutrality in some ways to so just be like, hey, like I'm not feeling that great today, but I still right. wanted to share this one thing that made me smile with you is a much more authentic presentation of what life sometimes looks like. Yeah. And it makes those moments of joy so much sweeter and so much more exciting. And when I look at our like best performing social posts ever, it's so affirming to me that like life has not really changed and human beings (laughs) have not really changed and instructors getting engaged and people having babies Mm. and somebody getting to go have like a really cool big experience. Those are still the things that everybody responds to. And to some degree, you're like, oh, right, because that is actually what matters in life.
1: Yeah, I love that. We saw someone on the subway the other day wearing their Century Ride Mm t-shirt, and Michelle and I were just talking about it so casually. And one of the things that I really like is the community that Peloton has really developed. No matter if you cycle or run or do any of the other classes, it's like people want to talk about being Peloton members and are so proud of that. I'm curious, like aside from the swag that they get or just like the pride in reaching that, what types of conversations are you seeing online that shows that proudness that the members feel?
2: Yeah. I mean, getting to, and I really think of it as sort of a, a shared pride in a way. I think what we see when we see our members talking about Peloton and how much they love it. The thing that I really love about it is that it's not just that they love us. It's that through us, They're able to express that they love this about themselves Mm. and that they're proud of themselves. Right. But, you know, I always tell people the best part of my job is I cry like at least once a week (laughs) reading something that a member wrote in their Facebook post or in an Instagram comment or a DM that they send or an email that, you know, they're writing to thank us. But really, like, they're the ones who did it. They showed up every day and changed their lives in ways big and small. And it's so deeply human and so incredibly gratifying to get to be a part of that. But also to really like we're, we're the facilitators. We are the catalyst. We are the tool. But they're the ones who picked it up and did the work. Yeah, and I think that's in large part why people love talking about it is because they have a real investment in what they did because they're the ones who did it. Right. We didn't deliver them a great product in you know like the Amazon. They had to do here. something with it. They yeah. had to mm-hmm. do something. They they are in a sense the best manifestation of our product is that they, they are, are going out there happier and healthier because of the time that they've spent with us. And it is an incredible honor and incredible privilege to get to see that community and this huge number of people feel better because of what you do. That's great.
0: I'd love to end it on your favorite social media moment, whether it was at Peloton or any of your other roles, like that one campaign or that one piece of content where you were
2: just glowing after it went live. Well, this is an easy one because I mean, I, I think like a lot of people on social, your favorite thing is kind of the last thing that you did. And this <laughs> is also really special for me. We were able to shoot a couple of months ago, a video where we brought in a group of members under the auspices of telling them that they were going to... To film a thank you video for their favorite instructor. And this is like, I mean, this to me is such a measure of how incredible our community is that these were people who like took a half a day right. to come into Manhattan. <laughs> and, you know, in order to film like what they thought was going to be like a five minute thank you video for someone they have never met. Never met. <laughs> and, and we did vet and make our selection on this list based on people who had never met the instructor who they were about to meet. And in the midst of filming their thank you, we surprised them with a actual live in person meet with their instructors. And I've worked at Peloton now for three and a half years. So seeing members meet instructors in the studio used to be a really core part of our experience mm. it was Something that has obviously been on hold now for a right. while. And getting to see that again and feel that energy and to watch some of our instructors experience that for the first time, because the ones who started after COVID yeah. have never met members in person except spontaneously on oh, the screen. wow. That's so interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's it's meaningful for them, too. You know, we had one instructor who we, we showed her the person who was coming up next and she saw his leaderboard name appear on the screen and she gasped. She's like, oh, I know him. She's like, he takes all of my classes. He is so sweet. She's like, I love this guy. And like, she was, was excited to meet him. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. And it was really cool to get to see that and get to remember that, like, oh, like that magic is real and those Mm -hmm. connections are real. And you know, I think as we head towards a place of occasional in-person encounters again, (laughs) to remember that we're as strong virtually as we are, yeah. um, That's great. I think what Peloton is all about. I love that. That was such a
1: nice way to end it. <laughs> I mean, I have the warm fuzzies now.
2: <laughs> I, I live in a near constant state of warm fuzzies. <laughs> years in social media, I think, is a, a real gift. Oh, yeah, yeah.
1: It's rare, honestly, too. Is a lot of people, I think there's this negativity associated with social, too. But you're doing such good work and such proud work and warm, fuzzy work. <laughs> it's nice to hear about that as opposed to the negative all the time.
2: Yeah, I mean, listen, it's not that there aren't negative. Well, of course. Of course, of course, there are, and of course, that's there. But there's so much good to focus on if you do decide to focus on it. Mm-hmm. And I think it just always comes back to the fact that social is an opportunity to really see like unfiltered humanity. Yeah. And that's people at their worst, but it's also people at their best. And yeah. I feel really lucky that we get to see a lot of people being their very best selves.
0: Jen, I've been trying to convince you to find space in our apartment to get a Peloton. For probably. 12 plus months. We have used the AR
1: feature to try to
0: find space, Michelle. There just isn't one. But after that interview, I mean, come on, how could you You say no to me?
1: You know how badly I want one in our home. (laughs) It might take a little bit more convincing, but you're getting close.
0: Okay. well, for now, I'll just keep watching all of the fun content that Kate and her team shares. I love following the Peloton channels.
1: I do, too. And I like hearing the origin story of the TikTok, too, because I remember thinking, I was like, why aren't they on it? Why aren't they on it? And I like the breathing moment. Yeah. Oftentimes, as marketers, we're like, we need to jump on this channel now. Mm-hmm. And I like the logic of like letting it sit for a second and fully think through how they were going to activate totally. on it.
0: OK. So for the account we want you to follow this week, Pete Davidson doesn't have an Instagram. But on Monday, he posted a selfie on Calvin Klein's Instagram account and said, I got Instagram. <laughs> um, Machine Gun Kelly commented on it and said, are you going to post us in our undies? Which...
1: If you don't know me, I'm obsessed with Machine Gun Kelly, so big (laughs) fan there.
0: And now he and MGK have posted another selfie together. Pete reposted the same photo again, the profile pictures of Pete, so definitely... Um, some teasers of, you know, an upcoming collaboration.
1: They even updated the bio to say Pete here yep. on Calvin Klein's Instagram. So I'm following just for the thirst traps. Am I allowed to say that? <laughs> all, the sure.
0: ladies, all the social ladies. 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 Now put your palms up.